Welcome to impactboom.org. We search the globe to find the people, stories, ideas, and inspiration to help you create maximum positive impact. Each week, Impact Boom brings you thought-provoking interviews with world-leading practitioners passionate about creating positive social change. These designers, social entrepreneurs, educators, innovators, thinkers, and doers share their projects, initiatives, thoughts, and insights on creating a better world. You can find all the stories, links, and other great content at impactboom.org. Follow us on Facebook or Twitter for the latest updates, or subscribe to the newsletter or on iTunes. Thanks for listening to episode 90 of Impact Boom. My name's Tom Allen, and I'm passionate about bringing you the latest interviews and insights to help you create positive social impact. Today, we're speaking with Mark Daniels. Mark Daniels has developed a deep understanding of social enterprise through roles in government as a social enterprise manager and through his work with social traders, where he's been heavily involved in the development of the Australian social enterprise sector. A constant and emerging area of Mark's work has been social procurement as a tool for delivering goods and services, as well as social impact. Mark is one of Australia's leading thinkers in social procurement, having been involved as a buyer, as a seller by social enterprise, and over the last eight years as an advocate and enabler for corporate and government buyers to socially procure from social enterprises. On today's podcast, we'll discuss Mark's views on the current state of the social enterprise sector in Australia. We'll get Mark's insights and perspective on social innovation opportunities, and we'll hear what Mark believes can be done by governments and the corporate sector to create stronger opportunities for positive social change. Mark, thanks very much for joining us. Thanks, Tom. So to kick things off, Mark, could you please share a little bit about your background and what led you to working in the social enterprise sector? Yeah, no worries. Um... It's, uh, it's, it's, it's a windy path, just like everyone's journey, I think, to this space. So I used to run a public housing estate in Melbourne. If anyone has ever been to Fitzroy in Melbourne, it's on the corner of Brunswick Street and Gertrude Street, four high-rise towers. Hmm. I was working there from about 2000, and it was a pretty tough place. Um, uh, we'd had a heroin epidemic uh, in Melbourne, and um, there was an estimate that the three high-rise estates in Fitzroy, Collingwood and Richmond were generating about $300 million of heroin trade a year. Wow. And one of the consequences of that is that the estate was incredibly undesirable to live in. Um, Mm. We were collecting 2,000 syringes a month. We had 125 vacant properties, which was 15% of the community, and there was a waiting list of 40,000 for public housing. So it was um, pretty undesirable. People would rather be homeless than living here. Mm. At a 25% annual turnover, so the whole community left every four years, and we had 95% joblessness, which is pretty consistent with any public housing estate. And I guess, you know, what was really interesting for me is I was given a bit of licence, I guess as a place manager, to, to create change in that community. And there was a really strong political desire to make it a more desirable place to live. And mm. part of that uh, was due to we were... There was an expose in the Herald Sun in Melbourne, and uh, we're on the front page for three days in a row. High rise hell, towers of terror. Wow. Um, yeah, and uh, eventually we, we got to page 16 by Friday. And the government responded really rapidly and put 24 7 security in the base of every tower. They invested in upgrading the assets. So 800 flats got upgrades over the next 10 years. Mm. Um, we, uh, we invested in community development. 
But what was really interesting was that you could stabilise the problem, but you couldn't address it as long as the role models in that community were drug dealers. And they were. Um, drug dealers were the ones with Mercedes and BMWs. 50% of this community was under 18. So, uh, you know, when you're trying to figure out what you want to be in life, and you see guys with uh, BMWs and Mercedes and everyone else walks because they can't afford a car or they've got a 35-year-old car or whatever it is. Yeah. And you can make 100 bucks running heroin very easily. That's where you tend to go. And we really want to change the profile of working people in this community so that, you know, it went from 5% working to, to a higher level. And we tried to do that by influencing other employers in the area. And it wasn't very successful. Most of the people who lived there had very bad CVs. And, and you know, they weren't very appealing to employers. Mm. I guess the epiphany, we had a moment one day where we realised that we were the biggest spender in this community and that we weren't creating jobs for local public housing tenants. Mm. And that was the point where, you know, you say, how did I get into this sector? That was the point where I got into this sector. It was about 2002 and we had a million dollar cleaning contract coming up that was across Collingwood and Fitzroy high-rise estates. And we got permission from the Director of Housing to put in a clause that said 35% of the labour force must be public housing tenants off the Fitzroy and Collingwood high-rise estates. Wow. And it was the point where I went, wow, just by playing with our procurement, we created 15 jobs for public housing tenants that wouldn't otherwise be working. And our joblessness rate moved from 95% to 92% hmm. in one work and then we started to we just went wow this is cool and a year later only one of those staff members had left so the job retention rate was really high mm. uh, the quality of the work was fantastic it was a private company who employed them but then that led us into looking at other contract opportunities so we looked at maintenance and, and we started to we brought in a requirement that a percentage of the maintenance labor force was to be public housing tenants and then eventually we worked with the Brotherhood of St Lawrence who were a welfare organisation directly opposite the estate, and they said, well, we're really interested in this social procurement stuff you're doing, but we'd like to set up a social enterprise and we want to employ public housing tenants. And then after they've gotten, you know, 12 months' work history, we want to pathway them into the open labour market. And we looked at contract opportunities and, you know, together agreed that the greatest opportunity was in security. So we took the 8am to 4pm security shift uh, from Monday to Friday and uh, we uh, all the Brotherhood went and developed a model it was a concierge type model rather than a security company yeah but they would create restricted access system they would have they would do um, referral and information for, for people who lived in their building they would know everyone who worked there they would take a general interest they'd do interpreting and translating where need be and we started that in 2003, 2004, and so that was the first social enterprise I actually was directly interacting with. And it, it was so impressive that I eventually left at a housing office at Fitzroy and I went to the Brotherhood of St Lawrence to run that social enterprise hmm. and a number of other social enterprises there. And what we found that was really fascinating was that um, we were creating 12 to, and now it's 20 jobs a year the Brotherhood generate out of this. And 80% um, of the people who started working, and they're all long-term unemployed, 80% of them went on to maintain jobs in the open labour market at the end of their time in that social enterprise. And mm. so it was quite profound for me to realise that you could create a business that existed to employ disadvantaged people 
and that it could cover its own costs and deliver amazing community benefits. Mm. And so at the Brotherhood, I, I ran um, cleaning, a commercial cleaning company, um, the, that concierge service. We did street cleaning. We did landscaping, um, energy retrofitting. We, we had about 40 to 45 disadvantaged people working for us at any time. And that was a real learning. And um, I guess just to finish the story on the high rise, I, I stopped working at the Brotherhood in 2008. So I exited that community in Fitzroy. And what was really important and powerful, I guess, was that that estate had been transformed through a whole range of interventions, of which procurement and social enterprise were just one. Hmm. But we'd gone from, you know, 2,000 syringes a month to 400 that we were collecting now. So it was much less desirable to buy heroin on that public housing estate. We'd gone from um, 25% annual turnover to 10% annual turnover. We'd gone from 125 vacant properties to a six-year waiting list to get into that estate. Hmm. Probably most tellingly from a, a social enterprise procurement perspective, we went from 95% joblessness to 81% joblessness. So he had, you know, there aren't that many people who can work in those communities, mm. but we moved the dial dramatically. And so, you know, there was a different vibe in the community because working was seen as more normal. And so that that's left an indelible mark on me, you know, that, that you start to play with things like procurement and business and social enterprise, and you can actually generate incredible change that couldn't be achieved effectively through any amount of government money being thrown at a solution, for example. Fantastic. Well, it's certainly been a very rewarding experience for you by the sounds of things and, and obviously shaped the position and, and, and what you're doing today with your work. So as yep. Executive Director then at Social Traders, could you please tell us more about the recent shift in the focus for this organisation and how yep. it's supporting the social enterprise ecosystem? Yeah, no worries. Um, I mean, the, the, the real shift at Social Traders is that we've gone from an organisation that was very broad. So we were we're kind of, you know, we created in, in really around 2009 we started operating. And we were looking at whole, whole lots of gaps in an ecosystem that was far, there was no real ecosystem in Australia at the time. It was a, a fledgling ecosystem. And so, and, and we didn't, you know, we're not responsible for dramatically um, filling all the gaps, but we started to identify that there were a few key gaps where we thought we could make significant impact. Mm. And we're, uh, you know, we're largely based in Victoria. So some of that was very Victorian specific and some of that was national, the work that we did. So the first thing that we, we could see was a lack of um, support for um, startup social enterprises. So we developed a, an incubator or an accelerator and that was uh, called The Crunch. And The Crunch uh, worked with social enterprise, social entrepreneurs to take their ideas to investment readiness. And mm. then what we realised at that point was they needed finance and there, were, there wasn't the right finance types in um, Australia at the time for them to access quite often. And so we started to also do investment. And so we had an investment fund and it was a mixture of debt and grant and we would part uh, be one of the investors in many of the social enterprises that we, we felt were um, going to be viable businesses moving mm -hmm. forward. So that became a second part of the organisation, running a portfolio of investments. We also did sector development work, running uh, conferences and awards and, and doing some research and partnering with others. And then we fourth element really was around advocacy. A lot of that advocacy was around the development of social enterprise strategy, around 
raising awareness of the needs of the sector was also around procurement. And procurement became a really interesting and I guess distinct element of our of our work. But it was really influenced by the massive opportunity that existed. I mean, procurement's most of what government and companies do in Australia. And if you can access that money, you can drive, it's like opening up, in, in my experience, a $600 billion treasure chest of social impact that's mm. not being tapped into at this stage. Yeah. And so what we did over time is I continued to do bits and pieces around the social procurement. It was like a quarter of my job. And um, eventually uh, we'd try with governments and sometimes governments would be interested, but really there wasn't a strong driver at that point for any government to really do this. And there probably wasn't sophistication in their procurement to allow, allow this to occur. They didn't see it as a really strategic function. Yeah. But at one point, government closed down for us. <laughs> and, it, uh, and in about 2013, we decided to convene a corporate roundtable. And we were working with a, a consulting firm called um, The Faculty. And uh, they are blue chip consultants in procurement, and, and they did something really interesting. They, they allowed us to access their customer base and speak to corporates every quarter, and, and we would educate the corporates on social enterprise. And then they were there because they were interested in delivering social impact through their spend. Mm. And by the end of 2014, or by the start of 2014, we'd done a, a report into corporate social procurement in Australia, and what became evident was that corporates were really interested in buying from social enterprise. It was actually on their list of priorities, but it was very low on their list of priorities. Mm. So, you know, fundamentally they're there to save money and manage risk for an organisation. But what we started to see was, but we also can see the benefit of delivering positive social and, and environmental externalities. Mm. But we need help to do this. We need an intermediary to support us to, to buy and find social enterprises, to meet uh, other buyers and, and identify what best practice looks like, to measure the impact, to do a whole range of things that they considered essential. And from our perspective, we really took that opportunity and said, well, we're going to build that service to respond to the opportunity. And so we got some funding from the Ian Potter Foundation, which was pivotal, I guess, for us in developing mm. this. And from mid-2015, and we actually launched in late 2015, we were running a marketplace. It was called Social Traders Connect initially, and it was really about linking buyers to social enterprise suppliers. And so we developed a suite of services for buyers, and we slowly got buyers on board who would pay us an annual fee. And probably by the end of 2016, we realised that this was a big opportunity. We probably had about seven or eight buyers on board at that stage, probably about 40 or 50 social enterprise suppliers. So that was our marketplace. Mm. But we could see enormous scope. By the end of 2017, we did an evaluation with um, the Centre for Social Impact at Swinburne. And, uh, you know, we, we've done over uh, 20 million in deals in FY17, um, which created over 300. We didn't do them. We enabled them to occur, sorry. And what, what was really interesting was that would create, in our estimate, about 300 jobs for disadvantaged people. Hmm. And we were at the beginning of our journey and we could see that we could already potentially enable the creation of 300 jobs for disadvantaged people. So what happens when we hit scale in this marketplace? Hmm. And so we were really excited about that. But we were also noticing this big asymmetry in the marketplace, which is 
our buyers are very big. They buy billions of dollars of stuff. You know, they are the biggest companies in Australia and government departments. Yeah. And there was a bit of a mismatch between what they buy and what our suppliers sold and the scale they buy at and the scale our suppliers mm. look at. So we made a decision as an organisation in about September last year that we would stop doing all of the functions that social traders has traditionally done. You know, the market has moved a little bit. Yeah. So our incubator, the crunch, was um, finding it harder to find uh, the best talent coming through. We stopped running our portfolio. Uh, we decided that everything we did would be based around a marketplace and that instead of doing capacity building for startups, we would do it for our existing social enterprises that were certified and were trying to win work from corporates. Mm. So that was our way of trying to redress the asymmetry in the marketplace was we would become a capacity builder. We would uh, get really good intelligence from our buyers to inform some of our suppliers about the opportunities that existed. We would run a really slick marketplace where our Supplies were constantly being exposed to what buyers were looking for and those introductions were occurring on a regular basis. And so that was a huge strategic shift for us driven by a massive opportunity from impact as we could see it. Mm. Uh, we've currently got 28 buyer members. A year ago we had 15 buyer members. We think we'll have over 50 buyer members by the end of next financial year and we'll have whole of governments engaging with us. And if you think about that, even if a buyer is only spending a million dollars with social enterprise, you're talking about in excess of 50 million in deals per year through that sort of process. So mm. we can see it potentially involving hundreds of buyers over time. And we think the opportunity is enormous and it's addressing a huge issue for social enterprises, which is how do you get in front of corporate and government buyers who wouldn't normally buy from you. And that's the door that we're opening to these organisations. Mm. Well, it sounds like it's been certainly a very rewarding journey as you work through all those different parts of support and, and to end up where you are now. So you spoke a little bit about how the, the sector has transformed over those past uh, yep. nine, 10 years. So where do you yep. see it heading in the, in the coming five to 10 years? That's a really good question. I mean, we, we see the world from our perspective and our perspective has changed in the last 12 months. You know, we, we're really driven by the deal. So yeah. the deal is what drives our behaviour and, and um, uh, opportunities. And I think other people are coming to the same realisation that, um, you know, we've had investment in Australia. And so there are a range of forms of social investment. There are a range of capability programs. But probably the opportunity that's been latent for a long time is how do you tap into the marketplace mm. to deliver more impact, how do you open those markets up. So I think that's going to be a big growth area moving forward. I mean, if I think about the patterns that we're seeing now, I think a lot of these are going to multiply and, and, and become much more um, significant moving forward. So my son's in year 10 at school. He's about to do a unit at school on social entrepreneurship for the second half of the year. Fantastic. Now, which I think is amazing, and it's not because I'm his father that he's doing a unit in social entrepreneurship. Every kid in year 10 at this school does a unit in social entrepreneurship. Mm. Now, it blows my mind to think that in 10 years' time, most kids who have gone through high school will understand what social enterprise is and will be aware of what it delivers. Mm. That's going to be transformational. And it won't 
be any more just about my options are I can run a business or work in a business or government. It'll be I can run a social enterprise as well. So I think youth coming through, uh, I hate the term youth, but nonetheless, younger people are going to revolutionise social enterprise. And it's an easy and obvious statement to make, but I don't think... I'm speaking out of term. When when everyone learns about this, they'll actually see the beauty of it, which is what we see on every you know we see every day. So I just think the more people that hear about this, the greater the exposure, the greater the market opportunities, the greater you know these people are going to be buyers in organisations. They're going to be working in banks. They're going to be everywhere. So I think the awareness of social impact is going to go through the roof in the next ten years. Mm. I think what we're seeing is more daring. I'm seeing social enterprises doing things that. We're probably happening in the past, but I'm hearing about them more often now, you know, yeah. um, out mainstream businesses, scaling, revolutionising sectors, you know, a bit more audacious than we've seen before, you know. Yeah. Every, you know, when, when I think about what Thank You and Who Gives a Crap do, you know, they actually are raising the profile of social enterprise in a way that we've never seen before. If I think about what Resource Recovery Australia is doing, they're buying out commercial businesses. They've invented uh, product stewardship around mattresses. They've created whole new business lines um, that, that weren't even industries before. So that's the audacious nature, I think, of what we're seeing. I think that social enterprise support will become part of mainstream incubators as we move forward as well. So, you know, and we're starting to see that already. Yeah. Um, I think the social enterprise strategy in Victoria is really interesting and, and I think the fact that we have one in Victoria gives us an opportunity to argue that we should be having it in other states as well and, you know, and, and this new, you know, the social uh, procurement framework likewise. And then my last point really is I think we're seeing a growing sense of sector that we haven't seen before and I think that's going to become more significant and I think you know, initiatives like ours, uh, social traders really help with that because we actually bring 200 and hopefully over time 600 social enterprises together in a community to sell to buyers. You, you're inevitably building community through those structures. Things like QSEC really build um, support within an infrastructure. So I think we're going to see more and more of a, a, a stronger identity among social entrepreneurs in the future as well. Mm. Well, it certainly paints a very promising picture, and that's that's great to hear. And and we'll certainly look forward to to watching that evolve and and being part of that as well. So, what do you see then, Mark, as the most important traits of successful social entrepreneurs? It's a really good question, and I was just reflecting on who wows me and what are their qualities in this space, and 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 I think that. Two qualities that come to mind immediately are being tenacious and resilient. Yeah. Um, and I, I don't think that's going to be that different to anyone who runs an SME at the end of the day. You, you have to be tenacious and resilient. I do think in social enterprise perhaps there's an added level of um, tenacity that you need in doing mm. this stuff. And maybe that's passionate, you know, because I think that's the other quality. But I would say you have to be passionate, but you also have to be empirical in the way that you do things. If you're just all passion and no substance, you're going to be found out very quickly yeah. in this space. And there is an unforgiving nature of business that no matter how lovely you are and how much you care about what you're trying to achieve, no one will buy it if you're not solving a problem for them. Yeah. And so the last, I guess, quality I think is 
being skilled in solving business problems. Mm. I don't. I think if you're not skilled in solving business problems, you won't be able to solve social problems either. Yeah. And if you can't get the business right, you are not building a platform for social impact. Mm. I think there's some fantastic tips there, that's for sure. So are there any countries then, Mark, that you believe are really leading the charge when it comes to social innovation? And if you do think so, what are they doing that you think Australia or other countries globally could adopt? Yeah, I, I think it's an interesting question and my lens has gotten narrower and narrower because we've become more specific about what we do over time. Yeah. You know, years ago we were thinking about all the possibilities of social enterprise and social innovation. The last six to 12 months I don't think about anything other than deals basically and, mm. and, and that's what drives us and how do you enable deals to occur. Yeah. So, you know, I, I actually did a... a Again, Ian Potter Foundation sponsored me to go to the UK last year, so I spent time in Scotland and um, uh, with uh, CIS, who, who um, do a lot of work around the Social Enterprise World Forum, and also with SEUK. And um, I guess what I thought was that that we're not we're not following the world at all in our work. I actually think um, you know the support structures we have, uh, the uh, frameworks that are emerging now. Our work on social procurement uh, are as good as, if not better, than any other country that I'm aware of. I don't mm. feel like we're trailing. And, I, you know, and, and it's not arrogance at all. We're learning from organisations like Supply Nation. So for us, they're an organisation that's been working with Indigenous business to grow government and corporate spend with those businesses in order to grow economic wealth in Indigenous communities and, and, and Indigenous role models for mm. younger kids as well who are, who are business owners. Yeah. Because only you know, 0.1% of all businesses are owned by Indigenous people, but it's 3% of the population. And, you know, that inspires me. And the way they've gone about it and, and, and the policies that have um, occurred uh, at a federal level as a, and, and a state level as a result of their initiatives. So, um, you know, I guess in answer... Um, uh, you know, I think other industries are probably more interesting to me than the social enterprise space at the moment in terms mm -hmm. of learnings. It'll be interesting to, to reflect and discuss those points at this year's Social Enterprise World Forum in Scotland as well, where obviously yeah. CIS and SEUK will also be uh, yeah. very, very present. In fact, CIS are, are leading the, the charge of the organisation. So I'll look yeah. forward to seeing you there as well. Yeah, yeah, and I don't mean it. It's certainly not a slight on any work that anyone's doing. It's interesting. When I was in the UK and I was down in London, you know, they've got something similar to what we're doing here at Social Traders, but it's it's um, it's 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 at the beginning point. You know, they're mm. early in their development. They've got about twelve corporates that they're working with, and their offers emerging over time. And I think they've realised they've had the same realisation that we've had. And I know in, in Scotland there's elements of what we do, but I don't think – I think we've followed other models and I don't know if they're following us, but they've arrived at the same point at around the same time or, you know, they've taken longer to get to the same recognition and mm. same sorts of models. Yeah, very interesting to hear that experience. So coming close to the end then, Mark, what advice yep. would you give to corporate and government buyers to incorporate social enterprises into their supply chains? Yeah, I would probably say there's a really important strategic decision that you need to make in your organisation. 
And there's no point in doing this if you're you're doing it half cocked. You really need to to be you know committed to doing this sort of stuff because effectively what you're doing is you're redefining value. And, and I think people have to get their heads around this. It's not and we might do social procurement on the side. It's actually saying no, social procurement actually becomes part of the value that you capture. Social becomes part of the value that you capture when you're when you're buying stuff. Mm. So, you know, procurement's traditionally driven by price and risk, risk management. But I think what we're starting to see are buyers who are, are also saying, well, how can we also deliver social and environmental impact through our spend? Mm. And that's because there's other value that they can capture now. So this is a new value stream to corporate Australia. And that value, what does it look like in reality? It looks like one of the greatest stakeholder engagement pieces you could potentially do because it's really appealing to staff when you start to buy from social enterprises and your organisation can tell the story of how they've integrated social impact into their business. Mm. So staff attraction and retention constantly come up from us, from corporates and governments, about reasons why they do this. And the other factor that's really interesting and it's probably not something that um, uh, I was even conscious of until about six months ago was the role that investors are playing in this space. And investors, you know, and I'm not talking about me as an investor, I'm talking about the biggest investment houses in the world are now looking for social impact through their investments. Mm. So they are now starting to drive a different expectation and procurement is one of the methods through which these companies can deliver that. And then the last piece is around customers. So we know um, brand equity is, um, this is a great way of driving brand equity and, and, and demonstrating the values of your organisation to your customers as well. And we're seeing that all over the place. And we're starting to see, you know, corporates winning work from each other because they do really good social procurement. It's being asked for in the tender documentation. So it's actually potentially competitive advantage in the marketplace. Mm. We've certainly framed that in a very attractive light, that's for sure. So to finish off then, Mark, what books would you recommend to our listeners? It's funny, you know, I'm reading Anne Frank's diaries at the moment and I'm <laughs> really enjoying that, but it has nothing to do with what we've been discussing. So I was reflecting on which books I've read that I think, you know, um, and some of these books will, will be really common in uh, the library of books that, you know, Impact Boom hears about all the time. Yeah. Books like The Tipping Point, for example, mm. um, I, I would be surprised if nearly everyone doesn't mention that. The two that really interest me um, and have been pivotal to my journey, one was The Walmart Effect, and mm. um, that was interesting because it actually talks about the power of Walmart mm. as a buyer and yeah. as uh, an economic uh, force when it comes into a community. And it can be quite destructive and can be quite powerful. Depends mm -hmm. on how they frame and yeah. how they engage their supply chains and, and staff and so forth. And the other one is a book called To Sell is Human. So, you know, for me, um, I've been, I would never call myself a salesman, but I have spent a lot of time influencing and advocating. And I had to think about how, to do sales because we sell a lot now. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we've got 28 customers um, who are buyers. We've got a whole lot of suppliers who are customers and we're going to have a lot more moving forward. Yeah. So for me, it was great to sit down and read a sales book that was actually written 
you know, not for selling widgets, but for actually selling value. Um, and so I found that a really good um, book to read. Fantastic. Well, I'll stick that list at the bottom of the article, Mark. Mark, cool. thank you so much for sharing your really generous insights and time today. We very much appreciate it. And we'll look forward to tracking Social Traders' journey as you guys head into the future and uh, obviously with some strong aspirations. It'll be great to see. It's a pleasure, Tom. See you later. Thanks for listening to Impact Boom. You'll find links to the initiatives, people and resources mentioned in this podcast on impactboom.org. Please leave your comments below and remember, we'll be publishing fresh inspiration and insights to help you create positive impact every week on the website, Facebook page and Twitter.